Hello everyone, how are you doing? Awesome. Thank you for coming. I know it's 5pm. I know everyone's looking forward to the party. Who's coming to the party? Cool. If you see me there, come and see me. Come and say hello. So I'm here today um, joined by our friends from a partner from Weaveworks to talk to you about operations with ECS. Okay. So we're going to be talking about best practices. We're going to be talking about security. We're going to be talking about how to deploy ECS. We're going to be talking about availability, scaling, monitoring, logging, all those kind of normal operational concerns. And then uh, my friend Fonz here from Weaveworks is going to come up on stage and he's going to show you some really cool stuff they've been working on. So if you've not heard of Weaveworks, they do some really, really cool things around service discovery, networking, monitoring, and it all works amazingly with ECS. So before we start, I want to just sort of baseline knowledge here and just talk about a few of the key components of ECS. Um, and then we're going to start talking through the operational responsibilities involved with those. So first of all, we've got ECR, uh, our container registry. So a managed container registry, somewhere where you can store securely your containers and your images. Uh, then we've got ECS, the service itself. So a fully managed container management service. So ECS is responsible for receiving your task definitions and scheduling them and placing them and keeping them available and keeping them online within your cluster. Finally, at the bottom here, we've got your container instances. So this is your pool of compute where your containers are going to run. Okay. So let's talk through each one of these components and talk through some of the operational responsibilities that you have and some of the ones that we at AWS have and we look after for you. So with ECS itself, um, we look after a lot for you here. So as it's a managed service, we're going to be looking after the security and monitoring, the patching of the service, keeping it available for you, uh, scaling it, and also looking at cost control on our side. So all you really need to worry about when deploying an ECS cluster is creating it. And that's as simple as one line in the CLI you see up there. So really nice and easy. Then we look at ECR, the container registry. So with this, there's a little bit more for you to think about. So again, we're going to be looking after the monitoring and availability of your container registry. We're going to be scaling that for you and patching it behind the scenes, etc. Um, but you're going to need to look at deployment and how you get your containers in there. You're going to need to look at uh, cost control. So do you keep all of your container images forever? Do you lifecycle them? So. We have this, uh, if, you, if you've worked with AWS before, we have a, a shared model of responsibility. We talk a lot about it when it comes to security, uh, but it applies with operations as well. So we're looking after the operations of the cloud. You're looking after operations within the cloud using the building blocks that we provide. So for each of these blue items here, I'm going to be talking you through today how you can utilize the building blocks we provide to achieve these. When we look at the container instances, so these are the pool of compute, the instances that are going to actually run your containers, there's a bit more for you to think about here. Okay? So how do you best deploy these? How do you manage your costs? How do you reduce your costs and optimize? Uh, how do you patch your container instances? How do you look after monitoring and make sure that you're not exceeding CPU, memory, etc.? Um, how do you do scaling and availability and security as well? So I'm going to talk you through all of these. Essentially, we're providing the building blocks. Uh, okay, I'm missing a slide there. So 
we're providing the building blocks here. Uh, so when it comes to things like deployment, how do you deploy an ECS container instance? An ECS container instance is just an EC2 resource. It's an instance in itself, okay? So the normal technologies apply here. So CloudFormation is a great option. Uh, maybe use the CLIs, the SDKs. How do you deal with security within your container instances? So again, the normal way that you do, using IAM, things like instance roles, uh, Inspector. If you haven't seen Inspector, I advise you go and check it out. So it's vulnerability scanning, a managed vulnerability scanning service that can check your container instances to make sure that you, you don't have any vulnerabilities there. Monitoring with CloudWatch, so ECS has really tight integration with CloudWatch. We're going to go through that and cover some best practices there for monitoring. Um, and scaling and availability, you have the, all the powers of an auto-scaling group available to you. For cost control, I'm going to cover some common cost control measures as well around ECS later on. When it comes to tasks and containers, um, so with ECS, the ECS service is going to be taking care of deployment. So it's going to be looking at your container instances, working out where those containers can be slotted in, in terms of CPU, in terms of memory. We're going to be monitoring them, and if it's a long-running service, we're going to take care of keeping that service available for you. What you need to think about is the scaling properties for your tasks and containers. So do you want to auto-scale your tasks and containers? If you do, what metric do you want to use? So we'll cover some best practices there as we go through. Um, also around security. So how do you ensure that what's going on in your containers is recent, patched, up-to-date? Maybe you've got a container that was built six months ago with an outdated base operating system. So I'll show you some strategies for improving that. We'll talk a bit about logging and how you can really easily set up centralized logging across your whole cluster and container landscape, and also patching as well. So first up, deployment. Um, this is mainly going to cover um, how to get ECS up and running and best practices here. So the first question I normally get asked by customers is, how should I set this up? So one option is the AWS Management Console. Okay, so the ECS team recently updated this. It's got a nice wizard now that will actually create your cluster for you. And this is a really nice option if you're new to ECS. Okay, it's going to get you up and running very, very quickly with a, a pool of compute. Um, the trouble is when you start operating at scale, you don't tend to have just one cluster, right? You've got dev, QA, prod, etc. Maybe you've got one for PCI stuff. Maybe you've got one for graphical compute stuff. So you end up with a lot of clusters. And with a management console, it's, it's great for exploring, but you don't get that repeatability and the benefits of infrastructure as code, for example. So if you're like uh, a programmer or you're good at scripting or maybe you're like king of the bash one-liners, um, the default response normally is, okay, I'll write a script. Okay, I'm sure I can script this. AWS has CLI, SDKs, etc. I can do this. It's actually quite hard to get this right. And this is sort of standard across most AWS services here. So if you do try and script a whole environment like this, you need to start thinking about what happens if my script fails halfway through. How do I deal with that? Do I write safety checks after each AWS command to make sure it ran okay? How do I roll back if I do have a problem? And then all of a sudden, how do I upgrade that and manage state? And so I need to add more instances, change the army ID, for example. Then you start thinking about update scripts, and it all, it all becomes more difficult than you first thought. So a really great answer here is CloudFormation. Can I get a show of hands if you use CloudFormation today? Awesome, lots of you. How happy are we that YAML support came out? 
<laughs> makes this a lot easier. So I'm going to show you some best practices for deploying ECS with CloudFormation today. Uh, so this is Alice. Uh, she has a few requirements. Her, her boss is a bit of a hard case and is pushing her to get this out as soon as possible. And she needs to deploy a new environment. It's got to be self-contained, deployable unit. Uh, and her team's always asking for more and more environments. So it needs to be repeatable, you know, no human error, etc. cetera. Uh, auditable and self-documenting because, hey, who wants to keep an Excel spreadsheet of firewall rules? So this is where CloudFormation comes in. Um, so for those in the room that don't use CloudFormation today, it allows you to specify the resources you want to be created and updated and managed in your AWS account in a YAML or JSON template. Uh, so when it comes to deploy this, um, it's, you can either use the management console to deploy your templates. More commonly in larger environments, you're going to be putting it through continuous integration environments, continuous deployment environments. So all of a sudden, if you've got all of your infrastructure as code in a template, you can put that through your normal software development CI, CD type pipeline. And you can start running unit tests and pen tests in an automatic fashion on your infrastructure. So some really good benefits there. You can see the command here just to uh, create the stack for the first time. That's going to spin up everything in the template. When it comes to updating, I can make a change in my template. For example, say a new ECS army gets published. I can just change that. And CloudFormation is just going to change what's needed. It's going to recognize it's not going to redeploy the whole environment. Uh, and it's going to update my stack for me. If I need a new environment, uh, I can just change the stack name. And then I get a whole other environment side by side really quickly, really easily. So I'm going to talk a bit about how to do ECS with CloudFormation now and some best practices here. So you can see on the left the AWS CLI for deploying a container registry, right? just one command. It's very similar within CloudFormation. Uh, so you specify here an ECR repository, uh, and I'm going to give it a name of my app. When I want to actually use ECR, Again, really, really simple. So we have um, a, an ECR get login command, and that's going to get the, the repository credentials. Good tip here. Uh, we have a credential helper. If you're using ECR today, use this. It's going to mean that you don't have to do that whole authentication loop, that first command there. You can just use Docker push, Docker pull, and uh, Docker is automatically going to authenticate you with the registry there. So deploying an ECS cluster, again, really, really simple in a CloudFormation template. Uh, this is the actual cluster itself, so all we're going to give it is a name at this stage. And then that's not that useful on its own, so we probably need some container instances. And this, if you remember back to our original slide where we showed the responsibilities, this is probably where most of the operational responsibilities lie. Okay, so what I'm showing here on the left is a best practice VPC deployment with ECS inside it. Okay, so I'm going to talk this through. I know it's a busy graph. Essentially, at the top, uh, we've got a VPC, covers a region. We've got availability zones inside. We've got a standard two-tier VPC in terms of subnets. So we've got a couple of public subnets, one in each availability zone, a couple of private ones. Um, we've got an application load balancer in there, so really nice integration with ECS. I'm going to show you some features that that can do in a minute. Uh, NAT gateways for outbound traffic, and an auto-scaling group of container instances. So that's your actual pool of compute here. By putting it in an auto-scaling group, you're going to get self-healing. So if we had an AZ failure or one of your instances dies, 
the uh, auto-scaling group will automatically self-heal, and it will deploy those in the other availability zone or spread the load appropriately there. So you get really nice self-healing properties, saving your on-call people having to be woken up in the middle of the night. I'm also going to show you how to do centralized logging with CloudWatch, set that up really easily so that you can get all of your container logs in one place. If we break this down and look at the inbound traffic route here, you can see we've got the, uh, the, the HTTP request coming in. In this case, we're running an API, a simple web service. Um, the ALB, the application load balancer, can use path-based routing to decide which containers you go to, which ECS services and tasks. It also supports dynamic host port mapping. So this means that if you have a container that you want to bind to port 80 on the host, there's only one port 80 on each host normally, right? Unless you've got multiple IPs and stuff, and then it gets very complicated. So when you're using the ALB with ECS, it'll actually dynamically generate a host port for you, and it will maintain that mapping. And what that means in reality is that you can get much better packing of your containers on each host and much better cost efficiency. Outbound traffic, so we've got private subnets. Our ECS container instances are in private subnets. Um, we may want that to be completely isolated from the internet, but in reality, there are normally cases where you want your containers to speak outbound to other services, maybe third-party APIs. Um, so we're using, in this case, NAT gateways to route outbound traffic from our private subnets. Uh, logging, so CloudWatch logs. I'm going to show you how to integrate CloudWatch logs uh, with your task definitions really easily. So the too long didn't read here is that everything in that diagram we have a reference architecture for on GitHub. So it's a set of cloud formation templates written in YAML. Uh, you can click the launch stack button and it's going to launch that whole thing in your account for you. So really, really easy to get started. It takes up 10, 15 minutes to run into your account and you're going to have that whole production ready, best practice set up. So let's talk through some of the other pillars of uh, operational best practice here. Cost optimization. So you've got your ECS cluster deployed and you're starting using it, but now you want to reduce cost further. So the way you do this is very standard to the rest of AWS and EC2. Right? Container instances are just EC2 resources. Um, so you can use uh, reserved instances. If you know that you have a standard demand, uh, you can reserve that standard demand and use on-demand for your peaks. Okay, so really, really standard best practice there, up to 75% savings. Another option is to use Spot. So if you haven't seen Spot before, it allows you to bid on unused capacity in our data centers. You can get really, really good cost savings using Spot. We have something called Spot Fleet that allows you to say, ah, I don't really care what instance type I have. Okay, I maybe want some C4s, maybe the new, uh, new instance types. You select which ones you want. You say roughly how many CPUs you want, how much memory you want, and Spot Fleet is going to create that diverse pool of instances. So it's a really nice way of using Spot, and it works really well with ECS. Another option, another good tip is to use multiple ECS clusters, uh, so purpose-driven purpose here. So in this example, we've got a development cluster running on Spot. We've got production using auto-scaling group with RIs, reserved instances, and on-demand for peak. And we've got a spot fleet of GPU instances for our batch stuff. Okay, maybe you don't want everything running on GPU because that will, that will increase cost. So think of this when you're creating your clusters. It's very easy, very quick to create ECS clusters, so it's not the overhead it might be with some other solutions. 
scaling, how best to scale. Okay, so there's a couple of different dimensions we need to think about here. Um, first of all is our pool of compute. So again, as I mentioned, normal auto-scaling rules apply here, same as with EC2. Use auto-scaling groups. Set your minimum and maximum pool, and then scale up and down. How do you scale up and down? What metrics should you use? This depends on your workload a bit, but we have some best practices here. So our recommendation is to use the memory reservation CloudWatch metric. So this is going to allow you to watch how many uh, containers, how many tasks have been assigned to your ECS host, what the memory reservation is. And if you auto-scale based on this, it means that you're not going to get those out-of-capacity errors when you're trying to provision too many containers and you don't have enough memory there. So this is a good baseline uh, metric to use. The other dimension you need to think about once you've got your auto-scaling pool of compute is the individual scaling properties of each uh, service that you have. So if you have a long-running set of containers, maybe a, a website or something, um, how do you want that to scale within your pool of compute? Do you just want one copy of it? Do you want 100? Do you want to auto-scale? So we have application auto-scaling. It works very similarly to it does with instances. So you specify the minimum and maximum and desired number, and then your scaling metric as well. So in this case, I'm scaling based on CPU, the number of containers I'm running. And you do this by setting CloudWatch alarms. You can actually use custom metrics in both of these types of auto-scaling. So if maybe you're a ticket website and you want to scale based on number of tickets sold or some kind of metric like that, that's completely possible as well. Security, next pillar. So AWS security is job zero for us, number one priority. Uh, so we want to allow you to do the same and provide you the primitives to do that. So first up, I've got my pool of compute. I've got my container instances. How do I scale that? How do I patch that? So we have our um, ECS optimized AMIs, and every so often we release a new version. Maybe you're using a different operating system and you want to patch that. One really nice way with CloudFormation is uh, by using something called an auto, um, sorry, an auto scaling rolling update policy. So this is something that you add into your auto scaling group to say the batch sizes, right? When I change the army ID at the top and run that CloudFormation update stack, how many instances should, should CloudFormation roll at a time? So using this, you can get really nice and easy zero downtime updates and patching of your pool of compute. When it comes to patching your containers, uh, this is where we look to a partner. So really good partner in this space is someone called Twistlock. So they have a solution that allows automatic scanning of container images. Okay, so as soon as someone checks something into version control, this can integrate with your CI/CD system, do vulnerability scans, have a look at what's going on inside the container, and flag that and prevent that, that problem ever hitting production. So really nice service there. Recommend you go and check it out. Um, one way that you can minimize that uh, and a best practice is to use the smallest container base as you can. Right? So in this case, I'm using Scratch, which is a Docker container, Docker image with absolutely nothing in it. So this is a really good option if you've got like a static binary maybe built with Go or something that you just want to run and you, you want to minimize your attack surface. IAM roles. If you have containers that need to access AWS services, do not hard code credentials in them. There's no need. Okay? So we have two types of roles that you can use instead. So we have instance-based roles, and these are normal EC2 property um, 
This will, this will apply permissions to your whole container instance or group of if you're using auto-scaling and every container inside it. So it's quite broad. If you've got maybe a logging solution that all of your containers or something need access to an S3 bucket, then maybe you use it. Actually, best practice in most cases is to use the principle of least privilege and use IAM roles for tasks. So these allow you to specify an IAM role that's local to each set of containers, each task. So how do you pass in configuration and secrets into your containers? What's the best practice there? So there's a couple of options here. Uh, they have their pros and cons. I'll run through when you'd use each. So environment variables. Within a task definition in ECS, it's really easy to pass in environment variables into your containers. It's a great option for setting configuration data. It's not a great option for passwords and secrets and database credentials, et cetera. Um, environment variables are never going to be the most secure option for that. So in that case, what you want to do is uh, use the environment variables to provide a pointer to a location in S3 or DynamoDB to some data that's been encrypted. Right? A great way of doing this is with KMS, our key management service. So you encrypt that data, and then using the IAM role in your task definition, so the role specific to that group of containers, uh, you can then say, okay, only this group of containers, only this task has permission to decrypt that data out of S3. So this is a really nice way of passing in secrets into your containers. There's a couple of uh, open source projects on GitHub that help automate this, etc. Um, so just have a look around on GitHub um, for KMS encryption tools. Monitoring logging. So I mentioned that ECS has really tight integration with CloudWatch. So this is going to allow you to have really, really nice, easy monitoring of metrics, but also logs as well. So I'll talk through some best practices around this. So when you first deploy your ECS cluster, this is what you get. So this is just taken from the ECS console. By default, you get metrics on CPU utilization for your whole cluster, memory utilization, but also the reservations as well that we spoke about earlier. You can then dive a bit deeper and look at individual container metrics. So you can look at things like your latency on your ELB or ALB. You can look at per task CPU and memory, for example. When it comes to logging, um, there's a really neat way to get very easy centralized logging on ECS. So it's using something called the AWS Logs driver for Docker. Okay, this is open source, available on GitHub, part of the Docker project. We actually support a load of different uh, log drivers. So for example, if you're running Splunk or uh, FluentD, Syslog, for example, maybe you've got a central Syslog server, this is a really great option as well. I'm just going to show you the AWS log side. So this is, allows you to really easily export all of your container logs straight into CloudWatch logs. You don't need to do anything more than it's on screen here. Just add that to your task definition. So I'm specifying a log group here and also a region where I want these logs to end up. If, by the way, you want to add more available log drivers there, this is on GitHub. It's part of the ECS agent on GitHub, so just submit a pull request. This is the result. So in CloudWatch logs within the AWS console, you can see here I've got a, a Go binary. It's you know, serving HTTP requests. Um, something really cool you can do with CloudWatch logs is something called metric filters. Does anyone here know what metric filters are? Cool, okay. Uh, not many people that I speak to do. 
Uh, they're really, really cool. So this allows you to set wildcard text-based search patterns that it's going to look across your logs for and trigger a metric, right? So it turns it into a CloudWatch metric. So in this case up here on the top left, I'm looking for the string internal error in my logs. And the little sample when you first set up your metric filter is going to say, okay, I found this in five out of a sample of 50 log files, for example. The end result, what you see in CloudWatch, is a graph, a metric for this. Okay, so if you know you have certain things in your container logs that you want to watch for, this is a really cool way of getting monitoring and graphing set up really easily. Um, you can obviously, these are standard CloudWatch metrics. You can set alarms on those as well, right? So you could trigger a Lambda function or an SNS post there. So you can integrate with your monitoring systems or maybe wake someone up in the middle of the night, depending on what it is. So really, really cool there. Something we added recently as well is when you have these metrics for CloudWatch logs, you can just right-click on that graph point and say, show me the logs for this point in time. Okay, so really easy correlation between your metrics and graphs and the logs behind it. So I want to summarize before I hand over to Fonz here. Uh, a lot of this, we're going to be responsible for operations of the cloud Okay, there is going to be stuff that you're going to be responsible for in terms of operations, but at every stage, we're going to be giving you the building blocks and best practices to help you out there. Okay? I promised I wouldn't forget to give you the clicker. <laughs> okay. Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Alfonso Acosta, and I'm a software engineer for WeaveWorks. We're a startup company uh, and an Amazon partner whose ultimate goal is to simplify the management, operation, and development of microservice-oriented applications. We work in different areas to make that possible. We work on, with networking, including service discovery, visualization, controls, continuous deployment, and metrics aggregation and monitoring. But today I'm going to be focusing on two of those areas, which are networking, uh, and I'm going to be particularly talking about service discovery and visualization and control. Uh, who has heard from WeaveWorks here before? Raise your hand. Okay, quite a few people. Uh, to make this uh, as interesting as possible, considering the time it is, I would encourage you to interrupt me and ask questions. Just raise your hand or go to the mic right there and ask them. Uh, I love interruptions, so don't worry about that. So as I was saying, I'm going to be focusing on networking, visualization, and control. And I'm going to be doing that because those two areas and, and how we solve uh, those problems complement ECS really, really well, as you'll see. First, I'm going to be talking about WeaveNet which was the first multi-host overlay solution for containers. Uh, what it does in a nutshell, to put it in really, really simple terms, it allocates one IP per container. Why would we do that? No port clashes. So imagine you want to have 20 web servers, and uh, typically you want a web server to listen on port 80, right? With an IP per container, you don't have that problem with clashes and, uh, you know, port mapping. Maybe I should be using another, another port and I should have my load balancer pointing to that particular port. 
you don't have to worry about that. Uh, we also provide automatic DNS-based service. Yeah? Question? I was just wondering, are you uh, uh, allocating DNS on the containers you're using? Uh, we're, uh, do, do you mean uh, IPs on the containers themselves? Yeah, are you using elastic network interfaces to do that? Or are you uh, the question is, are we using networks in network interfaces to do that? Uh, well, everyone does. So in a container, you have a virtual Ethernet interface, which gets an IP. Question is, how do you connect that network interface to the rest of the system and the host? In that case, we, we plug it together uh, with, with the overlay network. Does that answer your question? OK. Um, so I was, I was saying that we have automatic DNS service discovery. What we do is um, when we create a container, when Docker creates a container, we learn about it. I'll tell you how we do that later. And we associate a DNS record to the IP of that container. So if I have a container named foo with IP 10.10.10.10, we will create a DNS record and we will propagate it to the rest of the hosts so that they're automatically aware of it. Uh, we assign the IPs of the containers automatically, which is a headache in many cases. Um, we do that using something called CRDTs, which I'm not going to describe, conflictly re replicated data types. And uh, we have minimum overhead. That's because we're using OpenVSwitch and BXLAN encapsulation, which is accelerated uh, by the network interface. And Amazon, of course, has uh, uh, NIC interfaces which accelerate BXLAN. And in the particular case of Amazon, we have an alternative implementation without overlay, which will manage routes of your BPC uh, infrastructure so that you have uh, uh, the, your traffic going to the right container without any overlay or overhead. That's what we call uh, the AWS VPC uh, mode. On top of that, we don't use a centralized data store. You need to store the um, topology information of the network and the service discovery information of the network somewhere, but we don't centralize it. How do we do that then? So as I said, when a container is created in one of the hosts, we learn about it. And our infrastructure will propagate it through a protocol called Gossip. And it has a, a really good name because it works like Gossip in real life. So a host will pick a few other hosts to talk to to propagate uh, information of that new container or that new host. And those hosts, uh, at, at the same time, will do the same with a few other hosts. That propagates exponentially, and eventually the full network will learn about it. This has implications on partition tolerance. If you don't have a centralized data store, if there's a partition in your network, even if those two sites won't be able to talk to each other. They will still operate uh, individually without problems. So the, the, the containers on one side will be, still be able to talk to each other, and the containers on the other side will still be able to talk to each other. Uh, it's a multi-data center solution. In fact, we are cloud agnostic. Uh, you can create the overlay network in AWS communicating with on-premise, for instance which is a great way to transition from the monolith to microservice applications in the cloud. And we also uh, provide encryption. 
Another great feature which I didn't include in this list is multicast. Uh, since we are implementing a, a, an overlay network and we are one layer on top of the, of the physical network or virt virtual network if you're using VPC, we can implement multicast. And uh, that's a great feature for finance applications like trading or stock ex exchanges. Um, here's an example of a, a potential overlay network. Uh, each of those hexagons represent a container and the edges between them uh, routes uh, for communication. As you can see, we have a group of containers on the left and another distinguishable group of containers on the right, but they're not fully connected. In order to get uh, from a container on the left to a container on the right, there's no direct route. Uh, WeaveNet supports non-fully connected topologies. It will learn about the topology of, of the network and do the right thing in terms of routing the packets from one container to the other. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, service discovery. As I said, actually, what are you guys using for service discovery? Is, come again? Console, okay. Is anybody using ELBs? Somebody's using ELBs? ALBs? Okay, those are all uh, potential ways of doing uh, service discovery. You could even have a static text file from IP uh, to service if you uh, wanted to do it shit, right? But uh, so how we do it on WeaveNet is, as I mentioned, a, a container is created. We learn about it. Here we have a few containers with name, a very original name, name. And we will create an A record associating name to the IP of that container. Then if a client, a container operating as a client, wants to connect to the service name, it will make a DNS request to our DNS implementation, which we hook in automatically, and it will connect to one of those uh, name containers. Can you tell me to which one it will, it will connect? Uh, a man here says random, yeah. And that's, that's correct. So uh, we choose to, to order the records randomly. So it could be any of those. And that's a very simple scheme with which to do load balancing. In the next request, the DNS request, the, the order of the, of the records will be different. The client will pick a different uh, IP, and that's how you, you get load balancing. So let's... Uh, see another uh, simple example, and uh, let's see it from the infrastructural uh, point of view. So what we have here is a two-tier application. It's not even microservices. I wanted to, to keep it simple. You could, you could say it's a, it's a two-tier application from the, from the 90s if you so wanted to. Uh, there's a layer of HTTP servers serving HTML, and there's another layer of what I call data producers. A data producer could be a database, Anything producing data which uh, needs to be massaged by the, by the web server uh, before being served to, to the clients. Now, in order to make that possible, the web servers need to, con need to contact the, the, the databases, right? Or the data producers. It could be a, a key value store, it could be anything. And this is the view on, on ECS. On the bottom is the opaque Amazon ECS infrastructure, 
And then in each of the nodes, you have an ECS agent, which is in charge of managing that node, or in Amazon terminology, container instance. So uh, let me ask the question again. How does the HTTP server find the data producer? How would you do that? Anybody? Um, there's, again, multiple ways to do this. You can use console. You can use uh, uh, ALBs. You can even use ELBs. But uh, those require management, right? You need to set them up. And in particular, in ELBs and EL ALBs, you need to have uh, credentials in the Amazon infrastructure to create those. So this is how it would look with uh, we've uh, installed in your instances. In fact, we provide an AMI and CloudFormation templates to, based on the vanilla ECS AMI to install this without, without uh, any complications in five minutes. So what we do is in each of the nodes, we install two extra components, the Weave router and Weave DNS and the Weave proxy. So the ECS agent, as I mentioned, is in charge of creating containers, stopping them, and managing them based on the services you create, the tasks you create, so on and so forth. So what we do is we place a weak proxy between the ECS agent and Docker. So whenever a container is created, removed, or something happens with it, we learn about it. And then the most important piece of it all is the weave router and DNS. So whenever a container is created, the weave proxy will tell the weave router, hey, I have a container here. Please uh, make sure that all the nodes in the network know about this container and know about its DNS record. It gets propagated through gossip in all the network, and uh, that's how you get service discovery. Any questions? Yes. Uh, the question is, uh, is it a standard DNS implementation? Does it use port 53? Yes, it is. And it's seamless because we make sure that your DNS configuration in your container will point to our DNS, implement, to our, uh, to our DNS server with DNS. Uh, now I would like to talk a bit about WeaveScope. WeaveScope is your microservice, visualization, and control solution. It creates a map of your microservices without instrumenting them. That means that you don't need to modify your application in any way. We will look uh, at the Docker API, we will look at the prog file system to do connection tracking, and we will collect that information and present it in a cohesive way. By the way, this and WeaveNet and most of the, of the WeaveWorks components are completely open source. You can find the, the source code on, on GitHub if you're curious. So let me dive in a little bit into what's WeaveScope and how, we, how, how you operate it. What, what we do is run an agent on each of your hosts in a container, but just a single one. And that's what we call the scope probe. It will gather information about that particular host, the containers in that host, the connections which are happening. 
it will generate something we call a, a report, which has, see, again, CRDT semantics uh, in order to merge them together. And we compile all those reports from the different hosts, which are reported regularly, merge them, and present them in the UI. The second important uh, feature of scope are the controls. You will be able to interact with your infrastructure. You will be able to create terminals, stop containers, uh, augment the replication factor of your application, and we do that through controls. What I presented before is the standalone version of scope, which you can start install yourself with because it's open source. In the same way, to simplify the operation of with scope and to provide some enterprise features such as user authentication, user management, and team management, we're offering WebScope into WebCloud, which is our cloud offering. And it, but it operates in the same way. The only difference is that the probes will report to WebCloud instead of an app. We will manage the app for you. Okay, any questions so far? No? Great. And again, our AMIs and CloudFormation templates come with both WebNet and WebScope, which you can connect to your own app and run it standalone, or you can connect to WebCloud. And uh, to finish my presentation, I would like to demo uh, WebCloud. And I'm going to change the display. I'm not doing a magic, magic trick. <laughs> yes. I would like to showcase a microservice demo application, which we call Sock Shop. It's a, a demo front-end of an e-commerce website selling socks, which you can see here. It has a, a little bit of Node.js, a little bit of Java, a little bit of Go, RabbitMQ, MongoDB. We went bananas, right? Uh, because we wanted to have a way to demonstrate microservices and so that people could interact with them. It's all open source. You can play with it. In fact, I'm going to be playing with it now. And it supports uh, multiple clouds, and of course, it supports CCS. In order to launch it, you would just click on Quick Start, uh, ECS, and we have a cloud formation template with which you can launch it in a few minutes. So this will bring me to my cloud. Uh, is it big enough? Can you see it? Okay. You will click Next. Give it a name. Let's say App. Very original. Uh, provide a key name. That's the SSH key in order to access the instances later on. Let's use the WeVCS demo. And uh, WeVCloud service token. This is a token you will get from your WeVCloud account. Uh, I'm going to make one up, and you will press next, next. Acknowledge the CloudFormation may create AMI resources, and create. This would take uh, around 10 minutes to run, but I don't want you guys to wait bored here. So I've created another uh, stack before, which I called SockShop. If you click on the stack, you get some output parameters with the front end of the application. 
which I actually already opened here. Yeah. So this is the running up. You have a catalog of socks. Say, okay, I'm going to buy the colorful ones. And I'm going to go to the cart. Yeah, it's fully functional. And the AMI, apart from spawning the application itself, it has spawned WeaveNet and WeaveScope. We are using WeaveNet for service discovery and networking, and WeaveScope for visualization and control. Uh, what you're seeing here is the main view of WeaveScope and WeaveCloud. On the upper part, you are offered different views you can interact with. What you, you see now is the service, ACS services view. Each of these polygons will represent an entity in the view. In this particular case, it's an ECS service. And edges between them represent a connection between those two entities. Um, there's no traffic happening right now. Uh, but, and I don't want to be clicking around the app to generate the traffic. So what I'm, what I'm going to be uh, using is a, um, a load tester application in order to generate uh, traffic on the website. That o that's also offered by, uh, by uh, the microservices uh, organization in GitHub. So oh, I'm going to go ahead and click. Yeah, and it's generating traffic. And we can see, actually, in the tasks, yeah, we saw new traffic was, happening, was uh, being generated in the app. We can uh, dive deeper into the application, or, or we can see, for instance, details on, on the ECS services. We see that uh, there are three desired tasks. There are three running tasks. We have information about the uh, outbound connections on the containers. Everything's hyperlinked, so we can, uh, we can see information about the front-end container. And we can dive into other views. For instance, here's a container view. Um, let's, uh, let's try to solve uh, an, an imaginary problem here. Let's, let's think that uh, we have a problem with RabbitMQ, and we, we want to see information about the RabbitMQ uh, container. So we can search, and we find the RabbitMQ container. We bring it up, and we have some information on CPU consumption and other things. But let's say I want to dive even deeper and get information on RabbitMQ itself. It's not fully integrated with Witscope yet, so, but I can create a terminal and interact with it directly. This is a fully, functional fully, fully functioning terminal, and I can do RabbitMQ CTL status, and there you go you get the status of, of RabbitMQ. In the same way, we can see the logs of the, of the front ends real time. Let me find the front ends. Here you go. And by clicking on this control, you see the requests coming in in real time, which is great for debugging. Now, if I manage to handle this, yes. So in order to make it easy for you, we're filtering out all the system containers because they're tagged specially. 
but we can show them and show everything which is happening. What you see here is a full infrastructure, including your application. You see the ECS agent, you see the Weavescale container, you see the WeaveNet container. And uh, if, you, if you look at the bottom of the screen, you see some clouds there saying ECS. That means we're representing access to external services. The ECS agent is accessing ECS infrastructure, so we represent it so that you know exactly what services are being accessed. In this case, it's ECS, but it could be an RDS instance, or it could be Dynamo, so on and so forth. In this view, things are getting a little bit hairy, and uh, surely it will happen with, with big infrastructures. In order to help with that, we have created a table view, which uh, will be more familiar to people using uh, top uh, and system administrators. In this way, you can uh, compare CPU and uh, memory and see all your containers at once. Actually, it works in the containers view, but it works in other views. In fact, we can show all your processes running in your full infra infrastructure at once. In the same way, we can zoom in and, and look at the processes, we can also zoom out and have a look at the, con at the host's view. This is a cluster formed by, by three container instances, and here we can see the connections between them, and again, the access to the ECS service and the internet. And finally, in the same way, we can get detailed information about the WeaveNet network. Here's a, a view with the three peers, the three hosts, uh, and detailed information on WeaveNet. So for instance, we see that this particular peer has two connections which are established and are using fast data path. So it's using the OpenB switch encapsulation. And that will be all from me. Thanks a lot for, for listening, and I will be happy to answer any questions you have.